0: Hey, this is Bryant Arnold, also known as Dragon from Skinwalker Ranch, and you're listening to that UFO podcast.
1: Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. I've been very lucky in the time doing the podcast to speak to many of the cast and stars, scientists of uh, the Skinwalker Ranch Show. It's The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch or Curse of Skinwalker Ranch, depending on the US or UK. I've spoken to Thomas Winterton, Brian Arnold and Brandon Fugel. I am delighted to be joined by a gentleman with a 20-year career supporting NASA at the US Army Space and Missile Defense Command, a published author among many many other academic achievements and one of the stars of numerous documentaries most notably of course history channels the secret of skinwalker ranch travis taylor joins me on the podcast travis how are you i'm doing all right how are you i'm very well very glad to be speaking to yourself finally three years into the skinwalker ranch show um like i say it's been it's been three years for you now what's that journey been like for you from then to now
0: Well, so from then to now is uh, really interesting because when I first went out there uh, more than three years ago now, um, I really thought I was going to get there and find that there were some folks up to some shenanigans. And uh, I was going to like Scooby-Doo the thing and find Old Man Withers was causing all the problems. Uh, But uh, then within just a matter of minutes from my first time being there, uh, weird stuff started happening that I couldn't explain, uh, and I never have yet found old man Withers co- who is causing the problem. Right, uh, it, it is something that's uh, bizarre and real, and uh, my current uh, understanding of it is not a lot better than it was, uh, you know, before I went out there. Uh, except that I know now that it is some sort of real phenomena, or maybe multiple phenomena occurring that, uh, needs a lot more investigation.
1: How much did you know already about the ranch before you went on, you set foot on it?
0: Well, you know, I'd heard it, uh, heard about it on, uh, like, uh, coast to coast, uh, and other things. And before I went out there, um, I got, uh, Colm Kelleher's book and read through it in, in great detail. And I spoke with George Knapp some and, uh, and I, I thought it was all ghost stories, right? It sounds like stuff you would tell around a campfire to scare the younger kids. Uh, But uh, then when you you get out there and you realize uh, while their experience may have sounded uh, different from the stories, uh, my experience isn't a lot uh, less confusing and perplexing.
1: Now, you joined the ranch team when they had already been there for around three years prior. 2016, their investigation started under the, the stewardship of Brandon Fugel. What was it like getting involved with Thomas, Dragon, Eric and Cole who had already been there working together, joining the team kinda, a few years into their work as a sceptic?
0: Yeah, uh, at first, they uh, they weren't sure what to think about me Um Coming in and uh, looking at what they had done, and 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 sort of telling them that I, I wasn't a big believer, you know, and they just kind of all smirked and said, "Just give it time, <laughs> and, and you will be." And uh, that's kind of where uh, where it ended up. But uh, but we got along very good really quickly, and uh, started uh, digging into the investigation, and and they all uh, accepted me as part of the team, and. Since then, we've uh, really kind of been in the same foxhole together for the last three years or so.
1: In those first seasons, we are introduced to the ranch, the history of the ranch, the team, and we start to see those initial scientific investigations. Now, several years down the line, the technology has improved. What are the challenges that you face individually and as a group to keep progressing those investigations?
0: Yeah, the uh, biggest thing is... uh, while we do our best to try and stimulate something to happen everything seems sort of random serendipitous happenstance and uh, we'll try one thing that works one day and try it again another day and something different will happen so it's real hard to be repeatable from a scientific standpoint Um, we have sort of reached or, or we are reaching some uh, some of the limits of some of the uh, lower cost technologies that we've been using, and we really are at a point where we've got to kind of step up the game and go to some uh, more expensive, more more complex systems. And uh, I think we also have to be more aggressive in the uh, investigation. You know, we got to how are we going to find out what's underneath the mesa if we don't dig into the mesa? We've pretty much exhausted ground penetrating radar and seismophones and everything else.
1: Is that a big frustration for yourself because we've we've seen several episodes titled, you know, bad things happen when you dig. We've we've heard of the injuries Thomas Winterton received and others when when digging has happened on the ranch. Do you have that scientific, you know, drive that ju- let's just dig, let's just see what happens, let's let's poke the hornet's nest?
0: Yeah, well, that's the first thing I told the guys the first day I met them, if they're telling me that things happen when you dig, so don't dig. that's a big blinking flashing light neon sign that says, well, we need to dig and we need to dig a lot uh, to see if we can measure the phenomena that's going on. It's really weird that um, anytime we've done any significant digging uh, with a bulldozer or a backhoe or even drilling, for some reason we have a lot of technical malfunctions and issues with the equipment. Uh, A big thing is the batteries get zapped like almost instantly. We've, we had a bulldozer out there one day, and we had to change the batteries on it uh, like three or four times. And uh, that's one of the things we've seen with trucks, with tractors, with everything. Uh, but now you think about it, this is a farm, right? It's a, it's a ranch, and they had to dig post holes. They had to, you know, dig pipelines to run their wire, their uh, plumbing. They had, so digging happens. The question is, why are you digging, and does does is there really an effect? Because you have an intent. To dig to find something, as opposed to just you know uh, infrastructure building.
1: In the three seasons that we've seen so far, there's been a lot of experiments shown on camera. What are some of your your favorite experiments you've done so far, and are there any that we've not seen on camera that you would like to talk about?
0: Well, uh, there's some that are still coming up that I don't want to spoil for anybody, but uh, and they were really uh, last summer our investigation. I mean, we went all out, and you'll see that uh, some of the uh, experiments we did were exciting. Uh, uh, they had a lot of equipment. They were highly complex, and they had some amazing results. Um, but uh, as far as my favorite experiment goes, um, any, any time that we were up in the helicopter uh, ma- making measurements uh, in the anomaly over the triangle, uh, because the results that we got from that is just beyond fascinating. Um, and, and of course, the one where uh, we had the thermal cameras observing Homestead 2 when the rabbi did his uh, ceremony to open up a portal to heaven and we saw the uh, temperature vortex appear inside the Homestead doorway. So, I, you know, but every, every bit of it has been exciting and, and, and fascinating.
1: I listened to your interview with George Knapp on Mystery Wire just recently, and you talked about the, the time, I believe in, in season one, you'd opened up one of the, the manholes, essentially, and got the symptoms of radiation poisoning. Was it? Did you find out exactly what it was you got? Was it radiation poisoning or was it an illness similar to radiation poisoning? So uh,
0: all the symptoms, according to two different doctors that I saw uh, and myself, you know, looking at everything I'd read about it, is I had all of the symptoms of radiation sickness. And uh, uh, it was when we were behind Homestead 2 opening up the cistern uh, in the back there. And, you know, my gamma ray detector went off and people standing right next to me, theirs didn't. So I don't know how that's possible. And, you know, we had a team come in the next day uh, to scour the entire ranch for, you know, radiation sources, and nobody found anything with high-tech equipment that they use for the Navy. And uh, so th- we can't explain what happened, uh, but what we can explain is that something hit me. It set off my uh, Geiger counter, my uh, personal dosimeter, and then I had burn marks. I had uh, uh, all of the other symptoms, of uh, dark uh, discolored urine, uh, uh, flu-like symptoms—all uh, of these things that are very indicative of radiation sickness that lasted for several days to a week, depending on which symptom we're talking. So I, I, I can't explain it; don't know what it was, but I do have uh, you know one specific doctor that, that has treated uh, like special operations guys who have uh, been exposed uh, during returning, uh, you know, like down satellites or things like that or working in a nuclear vessel. Uh, and he said my symptoms were almost just like what they, uh, what he usually sees with them. So I, I I can't explain it. I don't know.
1: We've heard recently more so from, you mentioned Colm Kelleher and his book with James Lekatsky and George Knapp about you know, Skinwalker Ranch, OSAP, the, the, what went on several years before Brandon Fug- Fugle took over, that other people have had exposure to the phenomena that has resulted in illness did anything like that ever cross your mind or did you have any conversations with people like Colm to do um, with that?
0: You know, we've talked with uh, with them through either the phone or in person or on uh, like zoom calls or something. And in fact, I talked with Eric Davis this uh, uh, day before yesterday uh, uh, about some things. And, and it, it seems to me that uh, they had sort of different phenomenologies occur and different illnesses and, and, They never were exposed to radiation that Eric uh, seemed to think. And uh, that's Eric Davis. And uh, but I will tell you this, Colm Kelleher told us from the very start that uh, he wasn't going back out there. And uh, uh, it was better us being there than him sort of thing. Uh, Now, I also have heard from some other folks from the NIDS and Bass team that, uh, that we seem to have, uh generated some activity we maybe have, we have poked the hornet's nest because we seem to be seeing a lot more activity than what they saw uh but they did see stuff and they and they were more passive uh than we've been and that might be part of it
1: it seemed quite uncomfortable and quite scary for you when you started feeling those initial symptoms on camera and obviously on camera, it lasts a few seconds, but like you say for you, it was days of not feeling well. Was there ever any moments throughout your time on the ranch where you've thought this is enough, I, I need to get away from here uh, and probably not go back?
0: Oh, that had that crossed my mind a few times over the few years, and we all have things that there there's this phenomena that we've noticed. That the longer you're exposed to the ranch that you seem to become very uh, more likely to be irritable and more likely to be exhausted mentally and emotionally. And uh, there are days when you feel like you just got to get away from the place and uh, go in. And we don't know exactly why that is. I think it has something to do possibly with the uh, microwaves we keep detecting out there affecting our sleep patterns. Uh, But I haven't proven that yet, but that is my working hypothesis. But I I remember one morning in season uh, two where I got up and uh, walked over to the guys and uh, said it was all I could do just to not get in my my car and drive to the airport and go home this morning. Uh, I mean, that happens, Uh, but we fight through it and we keep going. And uh, because there's something going on there that we just got to get to the bottom
1: of. And you've got an incredibly impressive CV, you know, between your academic achievements and your and your working life. What do your colleagues say in those different backgrounds that know you work at the ranch and you, you investigate at the ranch? What are their opinions on it?
0: At first, they thought I was nuts and that I would, uh, you know, completely discredit myself for future work. But when, now that they've seen the exhaustive. In fact, I had a, a colleague uh, who, who actually told me that I was nuts for going out there and doing what I do uh, uh, before I went, uh, told me actually yesterday that he was extremely impressed by the exhaustive amount of scientific rigor that we've put into the effort. And it's kind of helping change opinion, I think, in the culture. Uh, and, I, and I think shows like Skinwalker Ranch, Ancient Aliens, you know, those, those types of shows are actually convincing the uh, academic community that uh, hey uh, this is something that we need to look into there's no no such thing as fringe in, in the scientific method if it's an unknown you're supposed to as a scientist investigate it with the scientific method and I think also with the all the UAP stuff coming out uh, from the Pentagon uh, it is is really making people realize hey you know there's a possible whole field of science here that we have not been looking at for a long time, seriously, and it's time to get serious.
1: You mentioned um, the UAP task force report from the Pentagon was one thing that they released. Uh, Recently, you were hired by Radiance Technologies, which is a firm taking on classified work for the DoD. Uh, One of your colleagues is a certain John J. Stratton, who was former head of the UAP task force for the Pentagon. And I'm just wondering if your paths cross, do you have conversations about Skinwalker Ranch and given his background, you know, what may or may not be going on there?
0: Oh, I I talk with Jay every day. Uh, Jay is a good friend of mine. I've known him for several years. Uh, uh, We've uh, passed uh, sort of uh, war stories, as you'd say. And uh, uh, in fact, his office and my office actually share a wall. I mean, we we work on, I was in a meeting with him this morning and, uh, so uh, we talk about these things all the time. You know, he tells me some of the things that happened when when uh, the previous work was done out there, and and he's also extremely impressed with the fact that you know the technology is so much cheaper and more available for us than it was for Bigelow's team. So we have a, a, a an opportunity to do a lot more now at Skinwalker Ranch than Bigelow's team ever did, simply due to uh, cost and availability, and uh, you know. What effect it had with uh, you know, or what it stimulated for uh, that era, though, I think was it was a hot spot for activity that made uh, people take serious enough that they would start a program
1: and and start go investigating these phenomena. And I think it's going to continue. Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, ZenCaster's Creator Network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. ZenCaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook red ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's creator network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favorite creators like me. I've worked with Zencastle now for some time and they've truly put the content creators and the listeners at the heart of what they do. As a huge fan of podcasts myself, and I really mean that, I love podcasts. I often buy products or services that I find useful to me based on those pods that I'm listening to. It supports them and there's usually a good discount to go along with it. So if you're interested in sponsoring this show or another podcast with adverts for your business, go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod one, that's the number one, or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. Brandon said himself on several occasions, and Brandon seems a man you have to take at face value and take his word, that he didn't receive any documents from Brandon Fugo, uh, from Robert Bigelow sorry, when they took over ownership of the ranch. There was no exchange of information. Is that something you think would have helped or hindered your own investigations having that information?
0: Well, I have mixed feelings about it. Um, uh, had they given us the information, at least we might not have reinvented the wheel uh, on some of the experiments they did. But they mostly uh, observed and the data they got, uh, why they they won't release it to us, uh, I, I don't understand all of the details of that. It may be that Bigelow still thinks some of it is uh, proprietary to him or the government owes him something for it or what. I don't know. Um, but. Anytime you start on a scientific project, as part of the scientific method. Actually, the first step of the scientific method is to do your homework and read all the papers that's ever been written about the topic. And uh, so doing that, it would have been nice to have had the previous experiments and data that was gathered from the Bigelow work. But I've never been able to see any of that. It's never been released to any of us. Uh, so uh, we're basically starting over. And uh, I think we've done
1: all right. I would I say I've done more than okay. the The science on the ranch has been very interesting, and it, and it does translate well to a TV show because uh, that can be a difficult thing to show scientific experiments on TV, given the nature of what you're doing. If you were put in charge of the ranch for a month, and you know History Channel gave you a, a sizable budget, what are some of the first things you would do? You've mentioned digging, but what else would you do to really move forward those investigations yourself?
0: Oh, wow. So if I had a, a, a ginormous budget, so to speak, yeah, I would have uh, I would pay uh, for some infrared satellite imagery uh, and detailed uh, uh, space imagery done of the area. I would also uh, probably set up an entire grid on every like one every square meter of the ranch, have a, a, a set of sensors that would be uh, 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 seismometry, microwave, magnetic, uh, gamma rays, across the board, you name it, and have <clears throat> me—have all that come into a major server system in the command center that we could continually run with artificial intelligence and machine learning, looking through it for uh, any types of anomalous uh, data, as well as I would have an array of cameras and radio telescopes and radar constantly sweeping the sky above it. Uh, but all that stuff is expensive. And the biggest thing, even even if you had the equipment, you gather so much data, it would take expensive uh, computer systems and, and, and people running them to go through all the data. That's the problem, you know, that the search for extraterrestrial intelligence has had for a long time. They've gathered so much data they can't go through all of it. And and so uh, that's kind of one of the things that uh, uh, we we've started uh, live feeds on our website uh skinwalker-ranch.com so that people can can go there and actually look and if they see something they can tell us hey we saw something at such and such time and we'll go back and look for it and do do uh, gather the data so it, it that's what i would do is just add a lot more sensors and a lot more capabilities
1: interesting uh, on a recent interview again with george knapp you mentioned that you had never seen a ufo until you got to skinwalker ranch now you've seen more than you can count what's been the most incredible of all your sightings and experiences involving UFOs? Yeah, so I'm not sure
0: um, which episodes have uh, aired in the UK this year uh, so far.
1: No but, season uh, three yet, just season one and two. We've not got season three yet.
0: Well, you haven't got season no, three yet. Oh, not yet. Well, then I'm not going to spoil it for you. But the most exciting one that I've seen uh, occurred in season three, and uh, I, I think it's around episode four or five, I forget which one, Uh, And you'll see uh, it's just an amazing uh, uh, event that takes place. Uh, But in the previous season, um, in season two, when I I actually was at home and I was looking at my phone, uh, I was actually going to show my son uh, the the Mesa through the cameras that I can access through my phone. Um, And I I told him, I said, "Well, well, let's look here. And it looked like it was lightning on the Mesa and raining. And I called Eric, uh, who was there and he was there. It was a Saturday. And, uh, and, uh, I said, Eric, go out and look at the Mesa. It's lightning just struck right where we launched the rockets from. And he was it's not raining here. There's no lightning. What are you talking about? So when I got back to the ranch on Monday morning, we went and looked at that time exact time that I'd called him. And we found in multiple cameras looking in the direction of the Mesa, uh, a UFO that, or that flew in and, and, and did some maneuvers and took off at like a couple thousand miles per hour. And we'd have never looked there had for that not been some weird phenomena affecting my phone and the server. We never found the video that I saw through my phone where it was looked like there was a storm on the Mesa. That is really bizarre, really weird, but it was amazing.
1: The ranch is probably the highest profile spot on earth for this type of activity and all the different types of activity we hear about through, you know, the OSAP program, Bigelow, uh, Colm Kelleher, George Knapp and others and now yourselves. People must reach out to you. Uh, from other places around the world and say I live here or I'm in a location where other sorts of phenomena happen is there anywhere else if there was a Christmas special of the show and you were told you could head out on location that you yourself would want to go with a camera crew and maybe some equipment
0: oh absolutely there's several places uh there you know like Dulce New Mexico there's a spot up in upstate New York uh there's a place out in Arizona there's a, a place in Spain that seems to be a really big hot spot I forget the the, the city there, but we actually spoke to uh, uh, one of the scientists that's working there and they are seeing some of the same things that we're seeing. So uh, there are spots all around the world. I think there's one in Italy, uh, um, you know, maybe uh, there in the UK somewhere like around Stonehenge or or some of the places like that. There's people see things all the time and it would be really interesting to take some of our equipment and see if we get similar measurements as we've gotten at Skinwalker.
1: What's your biggest regret so far in the three years of, of your time on the ranch?
0: Wow. Biggest regret. Uh, well, there've been several instances where, uh, something has occurred and, uh, we only had like one instrument or one camera that was there and, and it would fail for whatever reason. And, uh, we didn't have enough equipment there to have captured it. Then it would have been, it was amazing things. And we kind of have this, uh, kind of saying that if uh, we didn't capture it on the sensors and on the cameras, it didn't happen, right? Because nobody's going to, it's just a ghost story at that point. And uh, we've had a few of those. I really, the, the night that we uh, were cooking out by my trailer and there was something watching us and then we ended up chasing it through uh, the weeds and the, up the mace and it vanished. Uh, the fact that we could see us chasing around on the ranch in the camera, the security cameras, but never got uh, uh, an image of whatever this thing was. I I really regret that. I wish we could have gotten a picture of whatever this thing was.
1: And I have to ask, to be fair, what has been your biggest success? Ah,
0: well, I would say our biggest success, uh, well, and and you'll see more big successes in season three, uh, but our biggest success has been the fact that uh, we've caught multiple uh, uh, UAP. UFOs, maybe uh, uh, on multiple cameras and sensors at one time, with scientific data to back it up, so that we can do analysis and kind of uh, figure out what this thing is. And I think identifying that there is a anomaly above the ranch uh, at about a mile high uh, is really significant because you know the the Bigelow team never even bothered to look upward; they only you know looked really on the on the surface. Uh, and around, and, and we have been kind of digging down and digging up, so to speak.
1: Recently, you attended the UFO symposium, and there were uh, videos released to the public uh, shown some of them were previous videos we had seen. One was a newer video, and we got to hear some analysis. It's been relatively controversial analysis and what the video may or may not show. What do you want to say to the public in terms of releasing footage? Is it something from a scientific point of view that really needs time and study and extra data? Or should should people be able to just look at a piece of footage and take it at face value that it may be something anomalous, but we don't know?
0: Uh, a little bit of both. You can't really look at, the, at a video by itself uh, without doing very detailed analysis about every single frame in the video before you can say there's a really an anomalous thing here. Uh, and you also can't throw out pieces of the video, like the audio from the pilots, like the uh, uh, the location of the thing, like any other information that comes along with it. Uh, you, you can't throw that out. And there are a lot of people that just ignore the audio uh, from the pilots. They say, well, we we're, they, they're just pilots. They don't know what they're saying or seeing. And, and, and I think, well, that's, you know, we're paying these guys to sit behind uh, a high tech piece of uh, war equipment and they got their finger on the trigger. And each time they pull the trigger, they're making a, uh, you know, a, a, a diplomacy a policy statement for whatever country they're, they're doing that for. And if we don't trust them to look at something and realize it's not a bird or a, or, or a balloon or an airplane, then, uh, then we got problems in, in that case. So you can't throw out the testimony. But at the same time, um, you do need to be uh, have some healthy skepticism. But uh, let me tell you, there's a difference in scientific skepticism and skepticism uh, with a pre-planned agenda. I mean, if you start from the beginning saying the results of this uh, is it's birds or it's a weather balloon, then you're going to taint your your analysis. Uh, the same way, you also can't uh, say I'm 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 sure this is a UFO, and it's going to taint your analysis. Uh, to get there. You've got to look at it and say, I don't know what this is. I'm going to do analysis and see what it tells me what it is. And that's what you've got to do in this kind of situation. I'll tell you this, the, the one video of the, the three things the helicopter uh, saw was very intriguing to me. And with the pilots saying they thought they were moving as fast as F-16s uh, really suggests uh, that it wasn't birds and it wasn't some really mundane explanation.
1: Yeah, I'm no expert, but the one thing I said was, I'm sure the pilots can identify a bird in the sky as opposed to what may be a piece of technology. So I'll let the experts deal with the analytics. But for me, that's I, I'll reserve my judgment on that one still. Uh, just before we get to some listener questions, Travis, I want to ask, if someone said tomorrow that it's the final episode of Skinwalker Ranch, we're packing up, you've got one last talking head moment to sum up your time on the show, but also your best theory as to what's happening, what would that sound like?
0: Oh, wow. Well, certainly I hope that's not going to happen because there's so many questions to be answered there. But uh, I I would say uh, thanks for the amazing opportunity to be out there and see uh, something that really has changed the way I look at the universe and the world and and life in general. Uh, But I would also uh, say that I haven't got an idea of what could be causing such strange phenomena uh, or multiple phenomena. Or is it just one thing? I, I don't know if they're all you know, from the same source. Uh, and, and I would uh, say if I were to speculate, uh, I could come up with all sorts of science fiction and fantasy uh, answers that would range from a crashed alien spacecraft going haywire to, uh, uh, you know, uh, some sort of uh, portal into a, a connected universe. Or, you know, you could come up with all sorts of science fiction scenarios. But I would say that, we just don't have enough data to tell you one which one of those science fiction scenarios is more likely than the
1: other. To be fair, I will say you did lead me along in one of the episodes where you drew what looked like a spacecraft when it was the, the sonar readings of under the ground, and it had the shape. And I don't know if that was you allowing your brain to to just lead you a little bit, but it certainly looked like a craft that you, you, you sketched on the outlines, but I was just
0: mapping the uh, hot spots on the uh, return of the ground penetrating radar, and uh, it, it did turn out sort of football shape. Uh, uh, that's American football, not soccer. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah. uh, uh, but it was uh, yeah, I, it was odd. And you know, we've gone back and dug down through there with the you drilled again, and and I'm not sure that we found uh, any evidence that it's anything more than a diff- a strange layer of of a more dense material now that part being said wait till you see what we pull out of the ground in season three
1: well on that note we've got uh plenty of listener questions for you to cover to cover some more ground um half the listeners that listen to the podcast are based in the u.s so many of them are i believe four four episodes in uh, as of this evening when uh, this this one goes out and um, the first question from tim says travis i'm a big fan Have you any theories you can share, unless it conflicts with the show's wishes until it finishes airing, as to the origin of the 1.6 gigahertz frequencies? I've read all sorts of bits about it being possible U.S. Air Force and GPS, but I'm open to any of it.
0: Yeah, no, it's not GPS. GPS is at 1.575 and, you know, out several other decimal places. And it would have to have a significant uh, Doppler blue shift for it to be at the 1.61-ish that we're measuring. Uh, I have some ideas about what uh, it, uh, if it if it actually means anything for the frequency it's at, uh, but that's to come. Uh, we haven't found the source. We've triangulated with multiple systems and never been able to find where it's coming from. It seems to be coming from everywhere. Uh, the 1.6 gigahertz is bizarre and fascinating, and we have seen it uh, actually move around the central 1.6 gigahertz. In a, in a way that looks like it might be, in, be being uh, modulated uh, in a way to send information. Uh, we don't know what that information I've never I haven't been able to decode it or anything yet, and it's not a standard encryption that, or, a, or a waveform uh, encoding that we normally use, so I don't know what it could be. It is important because it seems to happen a lot of times when we have phenomena occur, Uh, Could it be something that somebody is hiding behind a tree and eavesdropping on us with a thing? I doubt it. But until we find if look
1: behind every tree, I can't 100% guarantee that. A little bit of a follow up on that one is from Paul Markham. And Paul asks, is there any chance the 1.6 gigahertz signal and voice echoing back to you in a recent episode could be caused by you tapping into a government or private satellite surveillance system?
0: A lot of people have asked that question. Uh, uh, actually they thought maybe we were hitting the, uh, the, uh, uh iridium satellites or, or, something like that. But well, I would have looked into that. Uh, it would take a lot more gain than what anything we're producing. And, uh, and, and if somebody were looking at us with a satellite and they were illuminating us, uh, with this, they would be illuminating a large spot of the, uh, Uinta basin as well. So that. It doesn't really fit the math on, and the orbital mechanics for it to be a satellite. Possibly could be an airplane or something, but we'd see the airplane we're constantly looking at the skies and we've got uh, radar systems, the ADSB and all that looking at air traffic. So I, I don't know. It's a, we're not sure what this 1.6 gigahertz uh, phenomena is. Uh, it could still be a man-made solution. But uh, it seems to be happening in such a strange way that we can't seem to find the source.
1: next question is from Adam. He says, hi, Travis. Do you feel you and the team are being toyed with by whatever it is? Or are you starting to understand or develop understanding of trends and characteristics? Or maybe a baseline of data you can understand?
0: So... Sometimes it seems like there's a trickster God playing with us, like Loki is standing behind the you know, the curtain, manipulating things, but uh, and and being very random and uh, purposefully random. But um, we haven't been able to to figure that part of it out. I will say that the more data we gather, we do feel like that we know that these kinds of things happen, but we can never say this is going to happen when we do this because a lot of times we'll do something. We'll get a response. We'll do the same thing. We'll get a completely different response. So, um, yeah, I'd say we have more data is all we can say. We're not much better at understanding what's causing it.
1: A question from Walker. He asks, just wanted to establish if Travis is convinced this could be non-human, did you ever experience any ontological shock after that realization? And as a scientist, I assume Travis is facts driven, just wondering how he relies on his intuition. And if so, have those intuitive impulses increased or strengthened since working on the ranch? Uh, um, I have hunches
0: that I think are... Uh a lot of times they come to me after I've actually been asleep because I think my brain is processing all the data that I've seen the day before, but I really don't, uh, follow, uh, like an intuition or something. Sometimes I will take a shot in the dark because I'm at a loss for what's happening. But, um, uh, my, my belief system or my, uh, uh, My approach to solving problems hasn't really changed. I still go at it with the scientific method uh, and with logic. But sometimes I will, uh, you know, try a harebrained hypothesis or something that uh, other folks might say is crazy or fringe or something just to see if a stimulus occurs. Because we really honestly don't know what's going on and we're just gathering more data.
1: A question from Gary. Does Dr. Taylor have any thoughts on why the carcasses of mutilated cattle are left on the ranch and not removed by the perpetrators, who or whatever they might be?
0: No, that's a really good question. Um, And that's kind of the the trend with most cattle mutilation phenomena is that for some reason they take a few things from the cow but leave the rest of the cow. I can't explain what that's about. I will tell you, I've seen several, I've flown around and, and seen some right after it's occurred and there's never any blood and there's always uh, stuff missing. And the cow seems to uh, not be attacked by the uh, predators and the carnivores and even the, the, uh, the microbiology that seems to, and the insects that seem to eat away at at carcasses doesn't affect these things. Now we'll tell you, I have seen uh, where a, a friend of mine had a cattle ranch and they had some get struck by lightning and that the predators and carnivores wouldn't have, wouldn't eat those cows either uh, that were killed by lightning. So it makes me wonder if there's an electromagnetic phenomena uh, that has, that's part of this. And
1: as much magnetic and electromagnetic stuff we see out there, it wouldn't surprise me. That's interesting. Kimberly asks, and Kimberly's been a long-time listener to the podcast, so hi, Kimberly. Um, if you get a chance, can you ask Travis, what event has been the most mind-blowing moment for him at the ranch? Oh, wow. Um,
0: well, the most mind blowing actually would be a spoiler for anybody in the UK. So, uh, I, w- I would hate to do that, uh, to you. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's one where something happened to Eric and I sort of simultaneously and we were in different locations and we both came to each other to tell each other the story and our stories were the same, which led us to a discovery. The other one is I, I have no idea how I was exposed to radiation. There's no, there's no, uh, there's nothing there. I mean, something uh, hit me with a beam of gamma rays. And there were people within 10 feet uh, from me that didn't get hit by the gamma rays. And that's not typically how gamma rays work. So that is baffling and mind blowing to me and I can't explain it.
1: Next question from Melanie, and I suppose this is one for myself who who is not a scientist, obviously. Um, Melanie wonders, how do you call what you're doing at the ranch science when there are no controls or repeatable experiments with the same or different results? And also, do you know if the insider application will have the actual data that's being collected?
0: Ah, well, so... Um... I'll go backwards with that one. The insider uh, thing, we are showing uh, some of the data. We actually are showing some feeds live real time. And as I get time, uh, I know Eric is already doing this. He's going through stuff and talking about experiments with folks on there. But I I plan to uh, actually give some presentations of some of the data and some of my analyses. Uh, But it's just a matter of uh, having time to do it. Uh, Then the other uh, part is, uh, how do we call it science? Well, So we are repeating our experimental processes just because uh, we don't get the same results doesn't mean it's not science. It means that uh, our either our hypothesis was wrong or our experimental apparatus wasn't necessarily the right experimental apparatus. Sooner or later, we'll find something that's repeatable, verifiable or falsifiable. And that's one of the things I really harp on is that you have to come up with hypotheses that you can verify or falsify and you don't have big hypotheses. Like you asked me earlier, what, what, what is it? I said, so, well, I can't just say, well, it's aliens causing this because you can't verify that. What experiment could you do that you could prove that it was aliens doing it unless you found an alien or an alien came to you that you couldn't, but what you can say is, okay, well, Data suggests that when weird phenomena occur across multiple types of phenomena, that we measure microwave signals or gamma rays or weird sounds. So we can put out instruments to see if this occurs. And we have found that is repeatable probably 80 to 90 percent of the time when phenomena occurs, we measure this 1.6 gigahertz microwave system. So we are actually doing science and finding repeatable uh, results. So we're doing small steps, though. And we're not, I think we're a long way from
1: that. It's a, it's a portal to another dimension thing. Maybe season four. Um, Last couple of questions, uh, Travis. Um, In your George Knapp interview, you mentioned that blood pressure or ADD medication could affect people's ability to perceive anomalous activity on the ranch. Do you suspect that those people are more susceptible to having strange experiences or do the medications potentially interfere with the ability to perceive?
0: Yeah, so it's the latter. Uh, So there are some studies that have recently uh, been done by uh, folks studying uh, hallucinations and uh, uh, using uh, uh, hallucinogenic drugs and uh, sensory deprivation tanks, as well as coma patients and so on. And it appears that the data is now beginning to show us that the hallucinations occur when there's less brain activity. And uh, so maybe these are stimulus that uh, are out there in the environment, but our hyperactive brains uh, aren't detecting it because uh, it's, it's too big of a noise floor. And so when you are in a coma state, a meditative state, or these drugs, they lower your, uh, uh, your brain activity and you will have these types of connections, hallucinations, whatever, And the ADD and blood pressure medicines and things like that are, they they actually may hype up your brain activity. And so they may actually act as sort of a buffer or a protection, uh, you know, like nicotine, caffeine, things like that, may actually prevent uh, some people from seeing or or experiencing these things.
1: Um, Javacat asks, have you ever experienced or anyone close to you any hitchhiker activity since you started your investigations?
0: Yeah, we... uh, Everybody like is real curious. But yes, and the answer is yes. And uh and in the risk of uh stimulating whatever we don't know why it happens or what it is, but we don't talk about it a lot, uh, because uh, we don't want it to get worse. Uh there have been people who've had it so bad that it's really affected their family life and so on. Um, but we all uh except for dragon, nothing happens to him. He's like our repellent. Um but uh, uh all of us have had things like our 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 car electronics uh, going on and off, blowing out and coming back on, batteries being drained, um, strange, seeing weird things where there shouldn't be weird things uh, and stuff like that. And keep in mind, I live in Alabama. That's a long way from Utah. And, uh, and if I have these events happening to me, it means it's non-local. It means it, it, it's connected across space and time somehow.
1: And final question from Barry on that hitchhiker effect. What are your thoughts on the hypothesis that that it can spread to other people like a contagion?
0: I've seen some data and heard heard, uh, anecdotal stories about that being true. Um, I don't know that it is true uh, 100%, although I have heard some significant stories and seen some uh, instrument data uh, from one of the particular subjects and his family, that seems to be uh, seems to be backing that up that that it could be possible. I know Gary Nolan, I think, has done some research in that, uh, so you might look him up and read whatever he's done about it. But I, it's 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 possible, and I and I think the evidence is beginning to suggest to me that that is what's happening. So it kind of it kind of makes me think about it a little bit because I don't want it to happen in my family either.
1: Dr. Taylor, you have been wonderful wonderful with your time. I just want to remind uh, viewers and listeners that you can watch Skinwalker Ranch on Tuesdays on the History Channel in the US. That's through to the season finale on July 12th at 9 p.m. Eastern. You can work out the rest of the times for yourself and look for a start date to air in the UK in a couple of months' time. Again, uh, Dr. Taylor, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, UAP, And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see.